Grace and mercy from the Lord Jesus Christ to all of you. Our sermon text this evening will come from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I invite you to be opening your Bibles and finding that place so you can follow along in the sermon as we get over there. As you know, last week we started a new series on the five solas of the Reformation. And Bo preached on the doctrine of sola scriptura, which is to say scripture alone. And that means that scripture is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify God and enjoy Him and what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. Today we are going to deal with the sola, uh, the second sola, which is solus Christus, which says that the person and work of Jesus Christ alone is sufficient and efficient for the salvation of sinners. Jesus Christ alone is the one and only salvation of sinners. I want to mention to you a book that you might enjoy. This is a book called Whatever Happened to the Gospel of Grace by James Montgomery Boyce. This is perhaps the first, if not one of the first books I ever read on the five solas. Uh, it's a fantastic book written at a popular level. All of you would benefit from reading uh, this little gem. And so you're welcome to borrow this copy or get your own. But whatever you do, get this in your library and make good use of it. The summary of the five solas that we've put in the back of the worship order come from uh, James Montgomery Boyce, and so you'll see how beneficial it might be to you. Our scripture text for our sermon is 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 31, and we will focus on verses 26 to 31 in the sermon. But I want to pick up some of the context of this uh, section for our sermon so that you'll understand where Paul is coming from. If you are willing and able, I invite you to please stand for the reading of God's holy word. The word of God reads... For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and follow folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolish of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. 
He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And that is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessings to the reading, the preaching, and the hearing of his word, and all the church says, Amen. You may be seated. I have in my hand here another book that I would recommend to you called A Reformation Debate. And I'll reference this in the sermon. It is a debate between a Roman Catholic cardinal named Jacobo Sadoleto and John Calvin, who was a Protestant reformer. In the year 1539, Cardinal Sadoleto sent a letter to the magistrates and the citizens of Geneva. And in the letter, he called the Genevans to leave evangelical heresies once and for all and return to the Mother Church. For Sadoleto, salvation is found only within the Mother Church. A mother who, in his words, regenerates us all. A right relationship with the mother church is salvific, according to the cardinal. He says, quote, We obtain this blessing of complete and perpetual salvation by faith alone in God and in Jesus Christ. End quote. And on the surface of things, he seems to agree with the Reformers. And yet in his letter, he goes on to say that for him, faith alone was not a mere credulity and confidence in God that removed the need for charity and duty. He says the cross and the blood of Christ is necessary and forms the first access we have to God, but it is not enough. A sinner must draw near to God with the right motives, the right understanding, the right convictions to summarize his arguments. This sounds an awful lot like some of the churches that some of us used to be a part of, doesn't it? For Sadoleto, salvation is the result of a cooperative process between God and sinners. In his way of thinking, the gospel has two main phases. First, God does his part in the cross of Christ. Second, sinners must do their part. He says, if we lapse into sin, we rise up in the same faith of the church and by whatever expiations, penances, and satisfactions, she tells us that our sin is washed away and we, always by the grace and mercy of God, are restored to our former dignity. These methods of expiation and satisfaction, we have the option to use trusting when we do so to find a place of mercy and pardon with God. For Calvin, on the other hand, salvation is found in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. A right relationship with God through Jesus Christ is salvific. Calvin says, we show that the only haven 
of safety is in the mercy of God as manifested in Christ in whom every part of our salvation is complete. As all mankind are in the sight of God, lost sinners, we hold that Christ is their only righteousness since by his obedience he has wiped off our transgressions. By his sacrifice appeased the divine anger. By his blood washed away our sins. By his cross borne our curse and by his death made satisfaction for us. We maintain that in this way man is reconciled in Christ to God the Father by no merit of his own, by no value of works, but by gratuitous mercy. Now I share this story with you for two reasons. First, I want you to know what was happening at the time of the Reformation and exactly what was at stake in those days. Roman Catholics believe salvation was found in Christ plus the Mother Church. And Protestant Reformers believe that salvation was and is found in Christ alone. What was at stake in those days was nothing less than the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second reason I share this story is because I want you to know that the more things change, the more they remain the same. There are still deeply religious Protestant evangelical groups who believe that salvation is found in Christ plus something else. Christ plus their denomination. Christ plus their baptismal formula. Christ plus their desire and effort and works. Christ plus their special prayers. And so sadly, they empty the cross of Christ of its saving power and its wisdom. Little do they know they are preaching a different gospel which is no good news at all. What is at stake in our day is what, is what was at stake in Calvin's day, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now what I hope and pray that you hear this evening loud and clear is that salvation is found in Christ alone. Period. Full stop. We just read about the message of the cross as God's wisdom and power for the salvation of sinners. But I want to draw your attention down to verses 26 and following. And I want you to see not only how God-centered the gospel is, but how Christ-centered God's work in the gospel is. Paul says, consider your calling. The word consider is an imperative. It's a command. It means take a close look at, take a hard look at something. In this case, take a close look at your calling. If we were reading 1 Corinthians from the beginning all the way to this point, we would see that Paul has used the word called in several different ways. He was called to be an apostle, and the Corinthian Christians were called to be saints along with other Christians who call on the Lord Jesus. And they were called into fellowship with Jesus and called to believe the message of the cross. When Paul says, consider your calling, he is simply reminding us to take a deeper look at God's gracious initiative in our salvation. Consider your calling. Paul reminds us of God's gracious initiative in our salvation by 
pointing out to us who we were before we came into Christ. He says, not many of you were wise according to the flesh. Not many were dynamic or powerful. Not many were eugenic or well-born. He makes it clear to us that God's call to us is unconditional. It means that God called us out of the world and into Christ on the basis of what he saw in Christ alone, not on the basis of anything he saw in us. Not our intelligence, not our influence, not our integrity, not our insights. This echoes what Paul has said in Romans 9, that God called us by grace before we were born, before we had done anything good or bad. Why? In order that his purpose of election might stand, not because of our works, but because of Jesus who calls us by grace and mercy. So consider your calling, and when you consider your calling, consider that God has called you on the basis of His mercy, not your merits, and on the basis of His grace and not your goodness. The gospel declares that God's calling and choosing depend on His mercy alone and not on our desire or effort at all. And we know that God has mercy on whom he will have mercy and he hardens whomever he desires. Notice in this text that God has called us from something to someone. Very important. From something to someone. God is faithful and he has called us from our alienation and from our separation from God due to our sin. And he has called us into union and communion with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But he hasn't just called us. He's also chosen us. Verses 27 to 29 say that God chose us. And Paul uses this phrase three times in the text, and he implies it two more times to drive home the point that this is about God's initiative, God's desire, God's effort. This is what God wants for you in Christ. The Greek word for chose means to pick out or to select or choose from a group, a mass, or a cluster. Paul is driving home the point that God is the one who selected us, who chose us, picked us out of the sinful mass of humanity for the sake of his son Jesus. Here again we see God's gracious initiative in our salvation, that God called us by grace and God chose us by grace. But we see there's purpose in this calling and in this choosing. Paul says that God chose the foolish of the world in order to shame the wise. God chose the weak of the world in order to shame the strong. God chose the low-born, the not well-born of the world. And God chose the despicable and God chose the nothings in order to nullify and abolish the somethings. This is simply Paul's way of telling the church at Corinth what Moses told Israel. 
In Deuteronomy 7, Moses spoke to Israel and said, You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. In Christ alone, God handpicked broken icons, damaged goods, and wrecked sinners in order to destroy the power and the glory of the flesh by the weakness and the shame of the cross. The gospel of God's grace is counterintuitive. It flies in the face of everything that we think we know to be true and right and good in this world. In the gospel, God calls and chooses the nothings and makes them something for His glory and for their good. And that brings us to the crux of this text in verses 30 to 31. What has to be one of my favorite phrases in all of the scriptures is found in verse 30. Our translations say, Because of God, you are in Christ Jesus. The Greek says something like, out of God or out of Him, you are in Christ Jesus. The idea behind that is that God is the source of our salvation. And we are not. Because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us, for us, wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And so we see that Christ is our true and better safe place. That God alone is the reason that any of us are in Christ. He is the one who caused us to get into Christ. He makes it happen all by himself, without any of our help, without any of our cooperation. He does it simply because he wants to do it. It's for his pleasure and purpose. As the Shorter Catechism puts it, we are made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ by the effectual application of it to us by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit applies to us the redemption purchased by Christ by working faith in us and thereby uniting us to Christ in our effectual calling. And this effectual calling and choosing is the work of God's Spirit whereby He persuades us and enables us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel by faith, convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ and renewing our wills. All of that is to say that because of God, you are in Christ Jesus. And it is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together to bring us to salvation. And so you see that God is the source, the means, and the ends of our salvation. Now, if you are in Christ then Christ alone is your wisdom. 
All of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in the Lord Jesus Christ. This means that He becomes your life and worldview. He becomes the lens through which you make sense of life, the universe, and everything else. In Christ, the wisdom of God created the world, and in Christ, the wisdom of God is recreating the world. This wisdom was manifested most clearly in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Those who are perishing regard Christ crucified as foolishness, but those who are called by God regard Christ crucified as the wisdom of God. In other words, for us, for us who believe, the cross makes everything make sense. In Christ crucified, we find the embodiment of wisdom from God. Not an earthly wisdom based on human experience. Not an abstract wisdom generated by human intelligence, but a heavenly wisdom rooted and grounded in God's revelation of Jesus Christ in the gospel. So that in Christ alone, we find true wisdom. And wisdom says, quoting the Proverbs, Whoever finds me finds life and obtains grace from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. If you are in Christ, then Christ alone is your wisdom. Number two, if you are in Christ, then Christ alone is your justification. But what is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace in Christ, wherein He pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in His sight only for the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to us, counted to us, reckoned to us, and received by faith alone. Christ is the righteousness of God as witnessed by the law and the prophets and revealed in space-time history. He is the one who carries our sins to the cross, the one who laid down his life for us. As the prophet Isaiah said, Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Jesus Christ is the righteous one who makes us right with God. If you are in Christ, then Christ alone is also your sanctification. What is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's free grace in Jesus Christ, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. Jesus Christ is the Holy One who cleanses your sins and purifies your life. He is the one who teaches us and who leads us in the way we should go. And He is the one who has chosen us for redemption. He sets you apart for His service. He calls you to be saints. He helps you to overcome sin, the flesh, and the devil by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you are in Christ, then Christ alone is also your redemption. This redemption was accomplished by Jesus Christ alone. It was accomplished by the humiliation and the exaltation of Jesus Christ alone. In those things, we see the person and work of Jesus Christ 
working to redeem sinners. Christ's humiliation looks like this. It consists of His being born in a low condition, under the law, undergoing the miseries of this life, the wrath of God, and the cursed death of the cross, in being buried and continuing under the power of death for three days. It was in the humiliation of Christ that redemption was accomplished, but not humiliation alone, but also in the exaltation of Christ. Christ's exaltation consists in His rising from the dead on the third day, in in ascending up to heaven, and in sitting at the right hand of God the Father, and in coming to judge the world at the last day. Jesus Christ alone accomplished redemption for His people. He is the one who gave himself as a ransom for many and purchased us at the cost of his own life and blood. He bought us with a price, and the price was his priceless and precious blood so that we are now no longer our own, but we belong to the Lord. Now to summarize verses 30 and 31, let me say it this way. If you are in Christ, it is because of God and God alone. And if you are in Christ because of God, you are wise in the wisdom of God in Christ. And you are counted as righteous in the righteousness of God in Christ. And you are being made holy in the holiness of God in Christ. And you are redeemed in the redemption of God in Christ. In Christ alone is found the source, the means, and the end of your salvation. In Christ alone, God did for you and your sins what you could never do for yourselves. God offered Jesus as the atoning sacrifice for your sins. The sacrifice that takes away your sins as far as the east is from the west and turns God's wrath away from you, not once, not twice, but forever. In Christ alone, God counts your sins against Jesus, but He counts Jesus' righteousness for you. The Gospel tells us that Jesus died the death we deserve to die so that we might live the life that Jesus deserved to live. Jesus suffered all the wrath and all the fury of God's judgment upon sinners like you in your place so that you might enjoy all the rest and all the peace of God as saints like Jesus in His place. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners not to make them savable. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, not to attempt to save them, but to save sinners so that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth can ever bring a charge against those whom God has called and chosen in Christ. No one can condemn those whom God has justified in Christ. No one can chastise those whom God has sanctified in Christ. No one can cast out those whom God has redeemed in Christ. Nothing and no one will ever be able to cut off from the love of God those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
So God has called you by grace into communion with Christ, and God has chosen you by grace into union with Christ. And the question is, why? To what end and to what purpose? And the answer is that ultimately He did it for the praise of His glory, for the pleasure of His grace. Immediately He did it so that none of you would ever boast in yourselves at all and so that all of you would only boast in Jesus Christ alone. The gospel of God's grace in Christ leaves you without any reason to boast in yourselves, even in the slightest thing. And it leaves sinners like us no room at all to boast in ourselves, but it gives us every reason to boast in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. As it is written, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices mercy, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Again, I want you to hear it loud and clear as if for the first time. I want you to know before you walk out of this place that salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone and no other. That Jesus Christ alone is the one and only Savior and Redeemer of His people. And I pray that you have heard by grace through faith that salvation is found in Christ alone, not just for someone somewhere out there, but that salvation is found in Christ alone, even for you. Let us pray together. Oh God, we do pray that your Spirit will take the gospel that we have heard and make it alive, make it fresh and new to us. I pray that we will never grow weary or tired of hearing the gospel of grace, that it may never become a dull story to us or a set of dusty facts, but help us to see that this is the very lifeblood of our lives. Oh God, we are so prone to rely on ourselves in some measure, to boast of something we've done. I pray that you will rob us of any temptation to boast in ourselves, to take pride or glory in our accomplishments or decisions or any effort we have extended. I pray you remove all that from us that we may rest in Christ alone. He is our wisdom, our justification, our sanctification, our redemption. In Christ alone, we have all we ever need, ever will need, all we have ever needed. And we give you the praise and the glory for in your good pleasure, you have gathered us up by your Holy Spirit and applied to those of us who have put our trust in Jesus, the accomplished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for sinners. To God be the glory, now and forever. Amen.